Open your Bibles with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. There are many things that I could preach to you this morning, but this is what the Lord has sent to you. I say that not to puff up myself, but to puff up the office of the minister that you should be trusting to bring to you the message that he has, that the Lord has for you. I want to read the first 17 verses of Ephesians chapter 5, for this is the message of the Lord to us this morning. Follow with me, please. (coughs) Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. May the Lord bless the preaching, the the reading of his word, and now the preaching. The context of these verses that I want to show you this morning, the three verses that I want to give you are the 15th, 16th, and 17th verses, with the emphasis on the 16th verse, redeeming the time. The context we have here is coming judgment, upon the world, and how that the Lord has called us out of the world to be different from the world, that we're not to be partakers of them in their evil deeds, but we are to prove what is acceptable to the Lord and to bear spiritual fruit, which is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. That's the context. We live in an evil world, but we are called to be separate, different from that world. 
And because of that, we come to the 15th verse where we see the apostle write, See then that ye walk circumspectly. Because of coming judgment, because the world stands opposed and different to God, we are to see something and to be different from them. See then that ye walk circumspectly. We don't use the word circumspectly very much anymore, but it means to make inspection or to look all the way around in a circle. That's why it's circum. Circumspection is to look all the way around, to look, to examine, to inspect every part of your life. See then that ye walk circumspectly. Our walk, our living, our life, our choices should be done only after very careful examination and inspection. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. A fool walks through life and lets life happen to him. Whatever he chances upon, well, that must be life for that day. He does not make choices based on wisdom. He lets life happen. A wise man chooses what his life will be. A wise man looks at every part of his life, makes close inspection, and chooses what is right, what is good, what is acceptable as the will of God. And how does he do that? He redeems the time. Redeeming the time. To redeem something is to buy it back. To buy back time is to trade things for time. Because you don't have more time. You can't buy more time. You are given a certain number of minutes, of hours, of days in which you live, and you cannot increase it. You can increase the amount of foods you have in your cupboards. You can increase the amount of gasoline you have in your car's tank. You can increase the amount of money you have in an account. But you cannot increase your time. It's a given amount. It's a scarce resource. But you can alter the use of that time by buying it back, by trading things for it in your life. If there is something in your life that is unnecessary but it costs you time, then you ought to trade that thing in in order to free, free up that time. That's buying it back. That's redeeming that time. And the reason we ought to do it is because the days are evil. We live in an evil and a wicked nation, in an evil and a wicked time, and unless we are spiritually led and committed to managing our time, and I'm not giving you a time management seminar this morning, that's a disgrace for the pulpit. I am giving you the word of God that it's a warning for us to buy back our time so that we can apply it to wisdom and to use it to bear the things that this passage describes. Amen. All righteousness, goodness, and truth. And anything that is contrary to those things should be limited. We should be buying back that time. We live in an evil nation. We should be making good use of our time. The 16th verse is trying to teach us. And it goes on in verse 17, Wherefore, because of these evil days, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We need to apply ourselves every day, every hour, what is the will of the Lord for this hour, for this day. And I don't mean wandering about in some fog, wondering what the will of the Lord is. 
He has revealed His will for us. Are we understanding of it? Are we applying it? Are we doing it in the limited time we have? We began this morning by the 90th Psalm. Three score years and ten. Maybe 80. Maybe 90. But what are we supposed to do with that time? We are to buy it back. It will slip away. It will fly away, as we read in Psalm 90 and verse 10. And we want to get it back. We want to redeem it and use it and make good use of it for the glory of God and to fulfill righteousness. But it wants to run away. We have never had in the history of the world so many options for time. Never. There is more asking for your time than ever in the history of the world. If we lived in a farm 200 years ago, there were limited things to take your time. They still had the temptation, or we wouldn't have had the Word of God addressed to them also. But not like it is today. There are so many activities, and the ease of transportation, and the ease of the media that comes into our homes takes demand, demands our time more than ever before. We live in a generation that is given to covetousness, greed, and pride. And it demands of you that you work yourself like a slave in order to so-called get ahead, so-called be a success, and so-called arrive at some place. When the Lord doesn't have a word about that. Success to him is being contented with what you do have and living a godly life. And that's using your time right. But the world wants to consume your time by putting a burden on your back and a slave driver behind you to drive you in your career that that is some end for your life. And it isn't. Do you know there isn't a word in the Bible about it except that your career be godly? The word of the Lord to us this morning, see then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And the will of the Lord is for us to live godly lives by his spirit in all goodness, righteousness, and truth in the light of coming judgment upon this nation, world, and the history of man. And we need to buy back our time. Time is scarce. What's going to happen when Y2K occurs? Do you remember how many minutes you spent over the last 50 years wondering about living in the new millennium? Did you ever sit and calculate that I'll be such and such an age in the new millennium? Do you remember when it was two years away? Do you remember when it was one year away? Do you remember when it was one month away? Do you remember this huge event that was to take place in the world that we were going to go into a new millennium? Wow! What a big event! It's so far away. It is six months past. Didn't it just happen yesterday? Weren't we just looking forward to Y2K? Weren't we just thinking what's going to happen on January 1st of the year 2000? Weren't we just wondering about our age on that day? It is six months old. One half of one year 
is lost forever. It is gone. Isn't it blows my little mind as to how fast time is flying away from us. Time is scarce and it's going fast. I want you to think about the last six months. They're gone. We were looking forward to this point in time and now we have to turn around and realize we're already six months past it. Matthew and Gloria were looking forward to the birth of this, especially Gloria, to the birth of this child for the last several months before they know it. This child, Courtney, is going to be five years old before they know it, if the Lord tarries. Our time is scarce, brethren. You can buy water. You can buy food. You can buy gasoline, but you can't buy time. You can only redeem it. And the way you redeem it is by trading things in that are taking it to free it up. That's to buy it back. It's now come back to you. It's free. You get it back by redeeming it. Look at Psalm 102 with me this morning. Psalm 102. I am worried as a pastor about our use of time. The Lord has sent me this morning to warn all of us to use our time better. For His honor and glory, He has not left us here to use our time any way we see fit. Our time is to be used for Him, godliness, righteousness, goodness, and truth. I want to show you in a verse in the Bible that time accelerates. Older brethren and parents have told me that the older you get, the faster time goes. When you're a child, it goes so slow because you always want it to go faster because you want to be older which is the most perverse thought that a person could have. But children always want to be older. When they're nine, they want to be ten, so that their age is in two numbers. When they're twelve, they want to be thirteen, so they can be called a teenager. When they're fifteen, they want to be sixteen, so they can drive a car. When they're 17, they want to be 18 so they can vote. They're always wanting to get older faster. But the Word of God tells us that's foolish to be thinking that way. You're wanting time to go by. The Bible tells us to redeem that time. You want to slow down and get some of it so that you can use it in a good way. I know those feelings. I was once 10, 12, 15, and 17. And it's all foolish. And then sometime in your 20s or 30s, you realize you wish it would slow down a little. The birthdays are arriving too fast. Time accelerates. And here's how it accelerates. It accelerates in your perception. When you wish for time to go faster, it goes slowly. When you wish for time to go slowly... It goes faster. Haven't you all learned that on the job? If you are in something boring and you wish the time would rush by so that you could get out of whatever boring thing you're in, doesn't it drag? You're looking at the clock every 30 seconds, every two minutes, and wishing it would go faster. But if you're in something you're enjoying immensely, you're wishing that clock would slow down because you want a longer time at that thing that you're in. And what does the clock do? It goes faster. 
That's a matter of perception. And so as you get older and you wish it would slow down, guess what it does? Because you're thinking about it and wishing it would slow down, it goes faster. As a child wishing it would accelerate, it goes slower. But there's a, there's a verse in the Bible that talks about life. It's Psalm 102 and verse 11. It says, My days are like a shadow that declineth, and I am withered like grass. My days are like a shadow that declineth. At noon, if you go outside and look at the shadow of a tree, that shadow is directly under the tree. At 12 o'clock, theoretically, the shadow will be directly under the tree. At 1 o'clock, how far will the shadow have moved? In one hour, it will have moved maybe a foot, maybe two feet, hardly at all. But as that sun begins to set and alters the angles toward that tree, what happens to that shadow? If it moved one foot between 12 and 1 o'clock, it moves several feet between 1 and 2. Between 2 and 3, it moves quite a few feet. And then, no matter how fast you could travel, you could not catch up with that shadow as it races across the horizon because of the falling sun. The Bible says, my days are like a shadow that declineth. They're getting faster and faster and faster and rushing away from us. Are you buying them back? If Satan can keep us too busy, let's not make it so easy. If Satan can keep us busy, he wins. Where does the Bible say that God has called us to be busy? I thought the Bible called us to be still and know that I am God. Where does it say to be busy? A Christian who loves God and loves His Word wants to buy back time and not be busy. And every man can do it because it is always, always a choice. Look at Psalm 39. Psalm 39. Do you have the time? Do you have the time to pray like you should? Do you have the time to confess your sins like you should? I mean soberly, seriously. Do you have the time to read God's Word like you should? Do you have the time to meditate, to think, to ponder, to consider, to muse upon the Lord, upon your life, to consider your ways? How many times in the Bible are we told to sit still and consider our ways? Do you have the time for that? Do you have the time to enjoy your wife? Do you have the time to train your children? Do you have the time to fellowship with your brethren? Or are you too busy for these things that I've just mentioned? These are some of the things that the Bible tells us should be priorities. But are you too busy? If you're too busy, then you need to make changes. And the changes are exchanging some of the things in your life to buy back some of that time so you can use it for these things. Now, I've just listed a few. I could have read off 150. Because the Lord is not complicated, though. 
Let me not say that. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And the things he wants us to do are simple, but you've got to have time for them. And our world does not want you to have time for them. Our world wants to keep you so busy, you do not keep your spiritual guard up because you're too busy to do so. Your mind is too distracted for it. The world does not want us to pray, to meditate, to muse, to stop and to consider our families, our futures, and our latter end. Do you know what Moses told the Israelites in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 29? Oh, he wished they would consider their latter end. And that's what we ought to be doing. But if we're too busy, it doesn't get done. We're rushing from one activity to another. If you are too busy to do these things and to do them well, Satan wins. Satan is not tempting us with Moabites who are worshiping to Molech. He's tempting us with wanting to achieve success for men, and so they overwork. They're overly concerned about achieving some level of financial success. All the Lord tells us is, when you work, do it diligently. But he doesn't tell us to work all the time, nor does he give us any standard by which we're to measure ourselves. Working is to survive. Working is to have enough in the basic necessities of life so that you can give yourself to goodness, righteousness, and truth. Right. And when we get that priority disturbed, mixed up, as this world wants us to, and as Satan wants us to, he wins. We lose, and the Lord loses. You will lose, because you are going to fly away, and you will have nothing to show for it. I want to ask you this morning, how will your epitaph read? Your epitaph. Whether you have a stone or not with an epitaph written on it, how will it read? Because remember what an epitaph is. It is a short statement describing how you used all of your time called your life. Isn't it? Isn't an epitaph a short description of how you used all your time? All of your time being your life. Did you use it by sacrificing things that you could have wasted time with for the things that count to God? That's what we need to ask ourselves this morning. That's what the Lord is asking us this morning. The Lord's asking me and he's asking you. Should we be buying back some of our time in order to spend more of it in goodness and righteousness and truth? Are we wasting it with foolish activities? Are we walking as the fools of this world, letting life happen to us rather than buying back our time? In that 90th Psalm that we read this morning, the 12th verse said, So teach us to number our days. That's a commandment. Teach us to number our days. Each day should be looked at as an individual gift of God in time. We should identify it and number it. And then count the next one and realize that there aren't that many. I have a son about to turn 21. He's already spent 7,500 and some days. We have a couple men in here who are 70. They've already given up 25,000 days. 
And many of the rest of us are in between, for the most part. What are we doing with our days? Are we making each day count by using its time in a good way? That's redeeming the time. To redeem the time is to make good use of the time, because it's so limited. And you're going to give an account for the time God gave you. We need to count our days, know that we're not going to live forever, and use those days to apply our hearts unto wisdom. Notice it's not just free time that we're looking for. It's time to apply our hearts unto wisdom. It's time to look around circumspectly in every area of our life and see what we ought to be doing better. See where we could put more emphasis in the Lord's worship, in the Lord's service, in personal devotion, in personal communion with the Lord, in walking with Him, in seeking Him, in hating sin, in confessing sin. Those are the spiritual duties of a true Christian. Amen. And we have to buy back time to do it. You know, we've got more labor-saving devices than the world has ever seen. They tell us that. They tell us that all these inventions are labor-saving devices, and yet men work harder and longer and have less time to sit and think and commune with God than ever. I think Satan, in his wisdom, has used those labor-saving devices to steal our time. Because with all those labor-saving devices, all we've done is add more activities into our lives where we have less time to commune. We have the labor-saving device of electricity that gives us light 24 hours a day so that if you don't want to go to bed, if you don't want to sit in the quiet darkness of your house and meditate, then you can turn the lights on, the television on, the radio on, and all sorts of other things on and fill the noise with room, with the, the room with noise so that you are not being still and knowing that He is God. God turns the lights out in the wintertime early so that you have to sit at home and soberly reflect on your life. But we don't live that way any longer. In fact, we want to change the time, don't we? We want to change the time so that we can play more in the summer. The Lord doesn't want us playing with our time. The Lord wants us wisely using our time. In Psalm 39 and verse 4, here's a wise man. This is a prayer. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. That's a good prayer. That's a prayer that we all ought to pray. Lord, make me to know something. I need to learn something. That life is short. And therefore, how to use this day that you've given me. Let me know how frail I am. The Lord's been merciful to our congregation. Who will be cut down first and wither like grass? The Lord's been merciful. Very merciful. But a wise man is going to pray, Lord, show me, teach me, make me know how frail I am and how few days I have, so that I'll use the ones that you've given me. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now when we look at that relative to time, that should help us, shouldn't it? Our use of time should be first allocated toward the kingdom of God. Right. It should be a priority to have time in prayer. The confession of sin, the seeking of God, the reading of His word, 
the meditation in our hearts. It should be a priority. But do you know how we reason? I'm too busy. I've got to get these things done. And when I get them done, then I'll use whatever time is left over for the Lord. I'll pray tonight. I'll pray tomorrow when I've got more time. I'm too busy today. You heard some of that last Sunday, for which I was very thankful. The Lord gave us some great blessings about four or five months ago. And as your pastor, as your father, I am very worried about us backsliding. And that is losing the zeal and the commitment and the conviction that we had a few months ago. And it's very easy to happen. And you had it explained to you last Sunday that the first sign or one of the first signs is a declining prayer life. Mark Jim's words last Sunday. Mark my words now. One of the first signs is a declining prayer life. You don't have time. Well, that's your fault. You're letting something dominate your life that doesn't have to. And you know what we all say? Well, someday I'll get out of this so that I'll have more time. No, get out of it now. You can make choices now because you love God enough that you want to buy back your time. It'll never change. There's always something that'll take your time. And you've got to decide today to redeem the time because the days are evil. You know, over there in Matthew chapter 6, where it says to seek first the kingdom of God, it says this in the next verse. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We have enough evil in one day's time that we should be focused on that time. We need to be walking circumspectly by looking at our 24 hours and using it wisely. We can always cut back. We can always exchange something to free up more time to give it to God's things. Time! You're wasting it. It's running away. It's flying away. Grab it and buy it back. May the Lord see it in our lives. Come over to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Lord, make me to know mine end. Make me to understand death, that it's coming sooner than I want it, and that life is short. Let me know that my life is frail, that I will apply myself to wisdom. The great men are the ones that at an early age get a hold of the fact that time is short and they want to use their time to the glory of God. Because the Bible says to remember your Creator in the days of your youth. And a man that would do that is a great man. You think David's a great man in the Bible? Then go read about his youth. He had a relationship with God that was exceptional even when he was a young man. Timothy, a young man, but had known the Scriptures and was following the Scriptures and was full of faith from his childhood. He was using his time well. In Romans 13, the Apostle gives us this warning. Verse 11, And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer 
than when we believed. And if you for a minute go into that verse and say, well, if he wrote that in 60 A.D., and it's still true today that our salvation is only nearer than I have lots of time. If you reason like that at all, then you're nothing but an ungodly scoffer that I'm going to get to in a few minutes in Second Peter chapter 3. We are living in the last times, and we're living in the perilous times of the last days. There is no more prophetic clock to run. We don't know when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. But the apostle would say, because we're all in the last times, he would say, knowing the time, that now it is high time. Right. Do you believe the Bible at all? Amen. Well, it says now it's high time. Right. Do you know what that means? Important time. It's the last minute. There's a deadline approaching. It is high time to awake out of sleep. The sleep is a fool who just lets time happen to him. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. That is what you're supposed to do with your time. It's very simple, right there. You should be using your time to set up your guards and to ask for God's forgiveness for the lust of the flesh that we can live soberly and righteously and honestly in this evil generation. Let us walk honestly as in the day. The night is far spent. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And the, the, the message I want to give you this morning is time. If you're just busy, 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 you do not have time to soberly consider where the flesh is creeping into your life and to make war against it. We are not a spiritual people like we should be. Don't ever think that for a minute. We are not as spiritually oriented as we should be. Our eyes are not on heaven as much as they should be. We are not looking for the glorious appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ as much as we should be. We are not hating sin as much as we should be. And it will not happen from busyness. Busyness is the devil's tool to make you forget everything I just said. You will go out of here and be busy in your foolish running around and activities and forget what I've said. So will I. If God isn't merciful to us and by His Spirit convicts us, and if we don't confess and convert today on the use of our time. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I hope you won't forget that the Apostle Paul wrote, Now it is high time. But look at 1 Corinthians 7. Let's see if he wrote it to another church. And I like this one. 1 Corinthians 7, 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. 
If you want to help yourself understand the Bible, take a pen out and circle the little word B, or underline it or highlight it. It is the key to this verse, the next verse, the next verse, and the next verse. And if you miss it, you're going to wander through these verses and not know what they're saying. It's all important to get that little verb to be. In verse 29, it remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. The key the Apostle Paul is giving us right here is time is short. So, because time is short, even if we're married, which marriage brings with it great blessings, but marriage also brings with it claims on our time. If you're married, do not get wrapped up in the claims on your time of that marriage, but live in a certain respect as if you were not married. That's what it's saying, the 29th verse. It remaineth, because of our limited time, here's how we ought to live. They that have wives be as though they had none. The man that's married and the woman that's married, though there are great claims on time because of that marriage, they need to rule that marriage so that it is, it is not ruling them. They should be as though they weren't married in certain respects to have the time to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to seek the welfare of their own souls. Marriage is a great thing. It is not good for the man to be alone, God said. We know that marriage is the will of God. However, even the will of God is to be managed wisely and circumspectly so that even your marriage is not taking your soul away from its responsibilities. Do you all understand that? And the key is that little word, be. Now look at the next verse. And they that weep, be as though they wept not, wept not. The be isn't there because the be, you were told to put the be there with the word both in verse 29. Verse 30, and they that weep, be as though they wept not. If there are sorrowful things in your life and afflictions and troubles that you've had, you should not let them get control of you and not let them preoccupy you, but be as though that you're not weeping. Govern those things. Nothing should be allowed to get out of control to where it takes all of our time. And they that rejoice, good things are happening in your life. So you're excited. Life is going well for me. Be as those that rejoice not. Be disciplined in your life as if all those things weren't going so well so that you will make use of your time. If you get so caught up in the good things that are happening to you, your life is going to rush by and the days and time are gone. And the Bible tells us here to be as though you weren't rejoicing. And they that buy, be as though they possess not. If you have a busy business, you are to manage and guard that business in such a way to be as those that possess not. You say, but I've got all these assets and I've got this big business that's controlling me. This business just controls me. The apostle has a word of advice for you. Be as a man who owns nothing. And that's a choice. We all make that choice every day. Right. And I want you to remember that word be so that you can read these verses and remember it. Verse 31, and they that use this world be as not abusing it. It's not wrong to use this world. We have to work in this world. We have to use it to provide our means 
for living. But while we're using it, we're to be as not abusing it. To abuse it would to have it take too great of a place in our lives to where we're, the time is crowded with too much activity of using the world and therefore we lose our souls. What if a man were to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The warning is to buy back the time that we can save our souls, not save them eternally to heaven, of course. Jesus Christ is solely responsible for that, but to save them from the distractions of this life so that we can serve him in goodness and righteousness and truth. Verse 32, well, verse 31, look at the second half, and here's how we can understand the time and why it's short. For the fashion of this world passeth away. Everything you're laboring in that's mentioned in verses 29, 30, and 31 is all passing away. Therefore, the time is short. Therefore, if you're rejoicing, be as if you're not. If you're, if you're a buyer of things, be as if you're not. If you're an owner of things, be as if you own nothing. Manage your time. That is walking circumspectly. Do you see it all fitting together? To be circumspect is to examine every part of your life all the way around and see where you're giving up time that you shouldn't be giving it up and buy it back, get it back, so that you can use it for your soul's sake, for your brethren's sake, for your family's sake, for the truth's sake, for godliness, righteousness, and goodness. Verse 32, but I would have you without carefulness. There's the key right there. I would have you without carefulness. Preoccupation with things, activities. The apostle does not want us with too many activities. He wants us redeeming the time, getting some of it back to use it to protect ourselves and our souls and our families and our brethren and our church from this world because the days are evil. We can't even presume on tomorrow. James chapter 4 tells us that even to boast of tomorrow is foolish boasting because you do not know what tomorrow is going to bring forth. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. I have recently recommended a book to our men called Knave's Topical Bible. If you go look up the word time, it doesn't even have an entry. I never said that it was even close to the Word of God. You read the Word of God and you'll find lots of references to time and to numbering our days and to being without carefulness. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. That is not an exciting verse to preach. Robert Schuller does not preach this verse in the Crystal Cathedral. This is not a popular verse. Do you know what this verse tells you? Pain is good. Who wants to hear a message on pain is good? I don't hear any amens. See? Even you know that it's not a good verse. But the verse is teaching pain is good. Jesus Christ suffered for us in his flesh. And we are to arm ourselves. Let's talk about the armor of God and the armor of light. That's to pick up the armor. The way to fight Satan and the flesh is the way Jesus did. And that's to suffer in the flesh. Because unless you are suffering in the flesh by denying yourself 
things that you like, you are not opposing sin. That's what the verse teaches. Opposing sin is a warfare. You say, why does it have to be so hard? Get started and it'll get easier. Why does it have to be so hard? Because you thought the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil looked so good. Through your great mother Eve and your great father Adam. Arm yourselves with the same mind. Do you know what that means? Giving up things that we like to use in our, for, with our time. Right. Buying it back. Suffering because we gave something up to use that time for the benefit of our souls and the souls of our family and the souls of our church. What if we were to call for a Wednesday evening service? What if instead of Wednesday evening we wanted to meet Tuesdays and Thursdays of every week? What a shame if we heard the words, but I don't have time. Because I read those early Christians in the epistle to, of Acts daily. They didn't, they weren't buying things. They were being as those that owned nothing. They gave up all that they had and were willing to share it with everyone in the congregation to seek the Lord Jesus Christ with a whole heart. Right. We're pitiful compared to them. We want to be better. And the way we're going to get better is to redeem the time because the days are evil. But I want to continue here in 1 Peter 4. That he should no longer live the rest of his time. I love these verses. We're to arm ourselves with being a, with a willingness to suffer. Because Jesus suffered for us, so we should be willing to suffer a little sacrifice in our life. Amen. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Now, is that plain? Is that what I'm preaching this morning? It can't. I can almost read it and close the Bible and sit down. But I'm supposed to teach it and hammer it home and to blow the trumpet in Mount Zion that God is calling us to redeem the time. Amen. Verse three: For the time past of our life, that should be enough. We should be able to look back and say, I've spent enough time in the world. I don't want to waste another minute there. Don't you all have enough time wasted? That's what it's saying. Right. The time past should suffice us. We should be full with the time we wasted already. When we walked in lasciviousness, lust. Don't you think that lust there is just something wicked like another man? That lust there is anything of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Anything you want for pride, for success, anything that takes your time. Lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Wherein they, that is the world, think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. That's why we should be worried about our use of time, because Jesus Christ is ready to judge those that are living and those that are dead. And because Jesus Christ is going to make us give an account of our time, we should be careful in the use of our time. Notice that in verse 2 we have the rest of our time, and in verse 3 we have the past of our life. The time past. We have time past. That's the time we've wasted. And then we have the time that's the rest of our life. The rest of time we have. 
And the Lord wants to see a great distinction in it, a great difference, a great change from wasted time to time that is ordered, prioritized for spiritual things. Contrary to our nation, you won't find it anywhere. It's very rare today where men will take the time to pray, confess, meditate, muse by themselves and then with their families. It's rare, but it's what God is calling us to. And I fear that we're not using our time well. Come back a couple pages to the first chapter of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1.17 And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Do we call on the Father? Yes, we do. We call on our Father, our Heavenly Father. We call on Him. And the the Apostle warns here that if we call on Him, He judges without respect of any man. And because of that, we ought to use our time that we are given in this little journey called life in fear, because we're going to give an account of it. Life is just a little journey, and I don't mean Nissan's journey. Their journey is one of pleasure. The journey of a Christian is one of love of the Lord and love of God, and godliness and righteousness in the earth. This verse should speak to all of us and condemn us if we're not using our time well. Life is not some, something for which we're to use to some personal end. Life is for the glory of God. Amen. We were created for His pleasure. And for His pleasure we are and we're created. Right. And for Himself. And we accomplish that by using the time of our little journey in fear. Using it for Him. Amen. You know, not everyone in the Bible used their time well. The Apostle Paul comes over in Hebrews chapter 5, and in verse 12 he says about those Hebrew Christians to whom he was writing, he said, when for the time, you've had enough time, Hebrew Christians, when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. What a disgrace. What a waste. They had the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ And yet they had not heeded the teaching of those apostles sufficiently to use their time to have learned this. And we've got young men in this congregation, as some of us get older, who should be learning the Word of God. But instead, you're wasting your time trying to accomplish something measured by dollars or things or some sense of accomplishment, all of which is wasted, and we're not going to talk about it or ever honor you because of it. What is your epitaph going to read? He worked 70 hours a week on a stupid project and forgot to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he was of an age that he should have been a teacher, he had need to be taught some of the basics again because he had wasted his time. God save us from that. And I pray God to bless someone to hear me this morning. I read that Jesus Christ said the kingdom of heaven is like like unto a man going into a far country that left a few talents. 
abilities, opportunities with three of his servants. To one servant he gave five, to another he gave two, and to another he gave one. When he came back, the man that was given five opportunities or abilities had multiplied it and had ten. And the Lord said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's what we want to hear about our time use. Mm -hmm. The man that had two, not as many as the man that had five, but still he had multiplied his and used them well. He had four. And the Lord said the same words because... To whom much is given, much shall be required. And if the Lord gives you less, he's still going to praise you as much as the man with more if you use it well. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But there was a slothful servant. He took his time, his opportunities, his abilities, and he buried them. He didn't give them to the bank for interest. He didn't put them to work. He didn't apply them. He did not number his days to apply his heart unto wisdom. He did not redeem the time. He did not make good use of the time that God had given him that one talent. He did not put it to use. He said, well, I've still got it. Lord, I've still got it. I'm going to go dig it up over here for you. I've still got it. Do you know what the Lord says? Take his one talent away from that slothful servant and give it to the man with ten. You say, that's harsh. That's hard. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Time is a blessing from him. We were not created for ourselves. We were created for him. And our use of time had better reflect that. Look at Second Peter chapter 3. I would love to read the whole thing to you. Wise men will go read this whole chapter. Look at the first verse, this second epistle, beloved. And I'm, I'm, you're my beloved this morning. I'm the ambassador of Jesus Christ to you. And I'm concerned about you and I'm concerned about me relative to time. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both, that's both first and second Peter, which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. I'm not giving you anything new this morning. Do you know what? We don't need anything new. Right. We need to do the old things better. The old things that redeem our time and to pursue holiness and walking with God and the other things that I've taught over the past five months. That ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Is that dropping some names? I am. I want to remind you of a message that the prophets taught beforehand, and we, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, have taught. And what is that? That this world is coming to a fiery end. And there is going to be a generation of men who are going to say, Well, this world hasn't changed in several thousand years, and it's not going to change. Eat, drink, and be merry. And they're called ungodly scoffers that walk in the last days. They're in verses 3 and 4. They're the pagans of our world who think that nothing's going to happen. There is no coming judgment. And because there's no coming judgment, they say, you ought to enjoy life. Life is a journey. Enjoy the ride. Is that what Nissan says? 
enjoy the ride? The Bible doesn't tell us to enjoy the ride. It tells us to suffer the ride in the sense that I'm preaching to you right now. And if you suffer it, you'll find the greatest degree of happiness, peace, and joy that this world can offer. But you have to arm yourself with the spirit of suffering of 1 Peter 4.1, which we've already read. This passage right here tells us that it is by the grace of God that he is holding back the fiery judgment that is coming on this world to burn up everything that we've got. Every business, every car, every possession, everything that you count on is going to be burned up. Nothing's going to last except what's done for the Lord. Righteousness, godliness, and truth. And so the apostle would say in verse 11, which sounds like Ephesians 5.15, seeing then, seeing then. See, it's all one message. There's really only one prophet that's wrote, written the Bible, right. and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Even Solomon knew that in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, but I don't want to chase that rabbit. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Right. I am just not spouting words like holiness and godliness. It should be the priority of our life to have the time to pray and to seek God and to read his word and to know him. He says, be still and know that I am God. And yes, I know I've repeated that. That was time number three for those of you that are worried. Do you know why I say that? Because this world does not let us be still. Right. Wherefore, beloved, verse 14, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Our lives should be dedicated to making peace. Our lives should be dedicated to living blameless lives and making sure that we are purged from every spot by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every sin confessed, living a holy life, pursuing him first above all other uses of our time. How do we redeem it? How do we buy back our time? You exchange things that are taking it for a better use of that time. Right. That's how you redeem it. You can't get more of it. You have a limited amount. And the Bible wants to tell us it is a very limited amount. Therefore, we have to exchange things to get time back. That's how we redeem it, to use it for godliness and holiness rather than for our own pleasure. No man's time is out of his control. No man's time is out of his control. It's a choice. How will you use your time? And if, if there are any of you that don't understand my application of that, I will be happy to help you in your very specific circumstances. Easily. It is so simple. There are so many things you can do to have more time. It is a choice not to take it back. And the Lord commands us to. I've given a list of priorities to the men at the recent men's meeting, and I have preached on Bible priorities before. Do you all know them? Do you remember them? Do you honor them? Can't preach it again right now. I have to ask if you remember. Being busier is not the answer. If any of you are saying to yourself, I agree with everything that I'm hearing this morning from the Word of God, I need to make more time, so I'm going to get busier. 
That isn't what the Bible teaches. It says to buy back. It doesn't mean to try to make more or use more. It says to buy back by exchanging some things. Because I want to tell you something. A true man of God who knows the word of God is not even going to sleep less to accomplish what I'm talking about. Do you know why? Because Psalm 127 in verse 2 says this. It is vain for you to rise up early. It is vain for you to stay up late. It is vain for you to eat the bread of sorrows. For God gives his beloved sleep. Amen. It is not sleeping less, and it's not getting busier. It is shrinking your activities. It is shrinking your responsibilities so that you are exchanging them for some extra time. And you use that time in godliness and holiness. What a blessing I've just given you. Amen. Our nation puts burdens on men's backs that never let them rest. And do you know what Jesus does? He giveth his beloved sleep. Amen. I love to read about the Forbes 400. Are they great men? Don't you answer hastily on that. They're fools. They're fools. They're scum idiots. In what sense do I mean that? They are going to be cut down and wither like grass. And their epitaph is going to be, he worked all his life to give his estate to a fool. Right. That is foolish. And yet during his life, he had no peace nor contentment because he was always worried about getting more. Because there is no place of financial accomplishment where you can reach and say, I have enough. Because it will not allow you to ever say that because it is called the deceitfulness of riches. And the world puts that on your back. I don't care how many promotions you'd got. There would always be one more promotion that you want to get. And as soon as you were in that, you would see another position that you needed also. I've just saved you from all of that with Psalm 127 and verse 2 in light of what we've all looked at. Nowhere in the Word of God is God measuring you by how much you accomplish professionally or financially or in anything even connected to those things. He is wondering how godly you are and how holy you are, you and your family and this church. Jezebel was given a space, a little bit of time to repent of her wickedness in the church at Thyatira. I wonder how much time the Lord's given us. He's shown us too much. How much time do we have to use our time better? I don't know. But I know that I was very convicted to bring you this message this morning that we'll all use our time better. There are so many things that creep into our lives and demand our time. What we have to learn is to say no. I will not let you have it. And when you say no, that is redeeming the time because you're buying back the amount of time that would have taken. And with that time, I pray that you'll use it for godliness and holiness in your life and in your family's life. As in every spiritual matter that we ever teach from this pulpit, you need to hear, you need to repent, confess, and convert to a better use of time. Amen. And I want to do it right along with you. May God bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Amen.